0: namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa pantang namang Well, I start, would like to apologise, I, I, I get, uh, so I've come up here to Amrawati, I sometimes get, I've got a dust allergy, working with chemicals, too much in my life with art, so I've sort of got damage, and occasionally what will happen is something that will trigger off that allergy, so I have quite a strong reaction. So if I fall off this tamad, I'm not dead, it's because I've had three pills today, <laughs> I've fallen asleep, (laughs) so I might have to stop. And occasionally, (coughs) something you get used to. I I was um, it sort of came on really when I was sixty, so it's been going fifteen years now. So um, it's the last thing you want as someone who meditates, you know, and I used to do long, long sit-ins. The whole thing is being, <laughs> and then it's choo-choo-choo and all this. So, but um, I've learned to use it, you know, and then, then um, sometimes I sit, I like getting up early in the morning when I was down in Devon. It's why I don't plan talks, you know, like before I had out. I had the first sentence of how I'd start this talk, but now I've gone completely <laughs> because I'm coughing. Um, I say it's not the cough that carries you off it's the coughing they carry you off in. But um, yeah, so I developed this thing of habit, and I just got used to it that if I had a bad bad, and I don't like taking pills all the while, I made my practice just like this. And I just practice normally. It's funny how you can get used to, used to these things. There's um, A long time ago, I don't know how accurate it is, I think it's quite accurate, um, Ajin Chah was up at one prayer night and then he talked all night and spoke to guests and all that sort of thing. And then the next day, he's a bit tired or something. Had, and he'd had malaria for three days and just not told anybody. <laughs> so it's just, it just goes to show the power of, you know, if you want to, you can work with these things. It's nice to be up here. Say so, I was down in Devon for two, over two years, and then uh, it's quite with the COVID, not much going on. So sort of retreat, retreat a bit. And but I, I'd find myself. Um, I'm very much a morning person, so I used to like going to the sala for four in the morning and sitting for a couple of hours in the morning. And it uh, doesn't mean I was always. Highly awake and in samadhi, I'd go through my periods of uh, leaning over. But that was the intention, it's my best time of day, it's early in the morning. And uh, sometimes the the monks, one monk doesn't, Ajahn Duttindra, he he suffers from the thing anyway, so morning isn't, it doesn't mean he's lazy or anything like that. But so it's very much the mornings, it was the option, it was more option, the morning sit ins, but I would always like to go. And then there'd be like two, two laymen and that. So, you yeah, some something like that. And I like that. I can live in solitude quite easily. Even though I'm a, I'm a chitty-chatty, I can chat in the hind leg of a donkey. But I can also live in my cootie and have my food delivered for a year and be quite happy with that. And uh, it doesn't mean I'm an advanced person. It just means that's my nature to be like that. Um, Yeah, so to come here, suddenly to come here, suddenly, for me, people say, oh, you're going out there with all those monks, all the other monks, you know, lots going on and things like that. But in actual fact, the first... I don't know how I'll be after about a month or two here. (laughs) I might run off back down to Devon. But um, I doubt it. But uh, I found it quite lovely to sort of find myself, when I wrote down to Devon, I said, it's very nice to sit in a room and you suddenly... You suddenly, realise there's forty people behind you. Is monks and nuns, and it's very, it's very nice. It really gives a, a big sense. Even though you have a lot people have lots of duties and things like that, which can get us down occasionally. But uh, you know, the sense of community is there underlying, even though you might not think it is. You know, and uh, yeah, and down there because of the because of the COVID, you didn't do many talks. You know. So so, you know, so to come up here a bit like the other day, the Sunday, I was a bit kind of... I hadn't sat in front of lots of people for a long time. And, I mean, when I was young, I, was te- I won't go into it. People have heard this so many times. I was terrified of this, people looking at me and, you know, eye contact with lots of people looking at you. But in actual fact, my nature, I always reflect, my nature was right from an early age. I didn't like people looking at me and drawing attention to me, but I seemed to have... It's the way the world works. Everything I did would draw attention to me. You know, when I got into fashion, I'd start... I would one of the first ones to start wearing fashion. I think I was the first person in Luton to wear an earring, you know, in the 1960s. It was the only thing my dad was angry at. My dad was the most delightful person, lovely. I I get, get emotional if I talk about my father. He was a lovely person and showed his emotions and things like that. So I learned a lot from my father... Seeing him cry, you know, when he took me to see an epic or something like that, I'd turn around in the middle of Ben-Hur and he'd be crying. And I'd be going, Dad, it's just a film. It's just Charles Eston. What are you crying for? <laughs> but, um, but the two things he, he didn't like funny enough, which are very fashionable, was uh, tattoos and earrings. Because where he was brought up in London, Shoreditch, he said the only people who had tattoos and earrings were street life, gangsters and things like this so when I said I was going to get my ear pierced he said oh do you have to do that so I said yeah I have to do that and then the hippie and the hippie as the first person to start putting necklaces around the neck <laughs> I went into a Scottish pub it to some right off now into some but it shows how you know, I'd always be drawing attention to myself it's like something in the universe says, this kid doesn't like people looking at him so we make it so everything draws attention to him you know so, you know, I remember, I remember going into a pub with a friend and I put some beads around here. And uh, it was this kind of pretty heavy pub. And then I heard one man say to another, What what's you been? He said some quite bad language. And I remember thinking, I think I'll have to leave the pub. I think I better get out of this pub quickly because I'll find myself in hospital. Yeah, so, you know, so it's quite funny to come up here and I just said to uh, Ajahnya Rato, I said, I actually like the lights up a bit. A lot of people like the lights down. And he said, well, actually that video. I said, oh God, are they videoing it? They, they video this. I said, he said, because it's for the video. you know." And uh, I said, you know, because it used to be, I didn't used to like people looking at me, lots of people looking at me. And now I tend to like... The lights, so I can see people. And uh, I was telling among the monks, a couple of monks, about this very famous Egyptian singer. I was quite into this old Egyptian singer. She's dead years ago. But um, she's a wonderful classical Arabic singer. It used to make me cry if I listened to her. And uh, an interviewer put a, came to him and put a, he put a tape recorder in front of her. And she said, What's this? And uh, he said, well, I want to record, record the interview. She said, said, I don't talk to machines. And then he said, oh, he put it down. He got the notebook out. She goes, what, what, what's this? So I want to take notes so what I'm saying. He says, oh, she said, I want to talk to your eyes. <laughs> very, very lovely. So this, and, and with me, like I've got a microphone here, but, um, you know, it's like this video now people are teaching on video. We're apparently doing wonderful, you know, people are teaching, thousands of people, and it's very, very nice. But it's something I, I saw. Oh. Ajahn Yannarato is just giving a retreat, and he said at the end of the retreat, someone comes on the screen and says, hello, you know, I'm this from Pakistan. <laughs> and then and then, and then somebody else says, oh, I'm from, you know, in all these languages. And then I think, how? how do you look at a screen and nobody's there? You know, and you connect with people. How do you connect with people? Hmm. Anyway, so getting back to my, trying to get back to my original point. (laughs) To be back here, you know, in a group is very nice. And then to hear sister ask for the discourse. I thought, oh, someone's asking for a for a dumber day it sounds like an angel you know it's angelic this little angelic voice comes from the other side of the room it's very lovely yeah so to come back here and be in a group this group is a you know it's a wonderful thing you know I'm always trying to remember, when people now now Ajahn Amaro comes away from the little room in the middle and I say I'm always willing you know if you want to rest I'm always willing to see guests so I don't really offer much here because I do my art every day um, so, so there's not a lot of other things I want to do because I have to go here, he if I have to go and do things, it distracts you. So I said, but I'm always willing to sit after the, after the meal, if people come. And when they come, I always see the looks, the looks on their face. It's not that everybody's depressed or anything like that, not by a long shot. But I always try to, try to, and even more so in these very confused days in the world, this time of confusion in the world, um... I'm always trying to impress people to really reflect on um, <clears throat> on their goodness that they bring. You know, one lady asked a question about this. Uh, she'd heard this story about the the turtle coming up and its its head going through a ring, and you know, and this is how lucky you you know your kamma, your vipa, your kamma that you carry that's brought you to Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma is you're the turtle that's come up in a hundred years and popped its head through a wooden ring, you know. But she sort of said it in a different way. But uh, I said, you know, just the fact that the, the the conditions, the good conditions that you've got in your life that bring you to a place which is non-threatening, where the people are good. I mean, we all have a rub-in now and then and want to punch up now and then with each other, but basically our intention is towards goodness. And... uh and the same with the lay people, lay Buddhists and lay spiritual people. You know, like my wife, who I left 30 years ago, but she's a devout Christian, and she's a very, she's a real true sense of Christian. You know, she's very beautiful and, um, well, it's a, you know, beautiful heart and used to do lovely meals for Ajahn Sameda and all that. But um, I'm always trying, to, people don't realise, realise how the goodness, that was, we have to reflect on the goodness have you know i say if you look around the world now the madness of the world now um i mean it's always been mad and now with with all news and computers and computer news and all this it's just just way out it's we're getting to know what it's really like the dark the shadow side of this earth um but when people come i'm always trying to press in them to really reflect on you know, what brought me to this place where people are harmless, try to be harmless, try to do good, aspire to goodness and reflection. But most people, they carry a lot of good in them. Most ordinary people carry a lot of good in them. But because it's familiar with them, it becomes kind of blind to their goodness, so they only see this, their faults, you know, and their shortcomings. You know, they come and say, I don't, I don't meditate very much, Ajahn. And and all that, and, uh, I try and I try and encourage them, and I'm always trying to get people to reflect on their goodness, you know, their goodness of their life. <coughs> and I said, I'm almost willing to give time to that. You know, somebody came today, you don't know them, but so I can mention somebody which was more, pro- more confidential, because nobody knows them. And the daughter, they started talking, and then, I said, I don't know how it came up, but it, it came up that the daughter had a condition, which I had when I was young, badly. And as soon as she heard it, I sort of said, oh, I had that condition. And uh, when it's something like that, and I see the daughter's in great 16 or 17, with a lot of distress and medication and things. And as soon as they acknowledged that this monk had this thing, the mother started... Get me now... I'll start crying in a minute. But the mother started crying, you know. And, and then even though I was tired, it's not that I'm a good person or anything, but my whole thing was to help this girl, you know. So I really overstayed my time, which <laughs> had created my dust thing. But I thought, well, it's worth another pill, you know, to try and give this girl as much information. And I was telling her to do this and try and do this. And then i sort of try and give her some skills of what to work with and, that feels feel so isolated. And I said, you've got nothing to worry about. You're 17. You're very beautiful. <laughs> There's no need to carry all this stuff. So this is what I, what, what I do. So much, so much negativity and this thing. And I always try to encourage people to take their attention away from what they don't want and move it towards they, what they want. Something I've often mentioned it on talks. I always mention it on retreats. You know, you've got the law of, the law of attraction, and it's kind of read a bit wrong, you know. They will say that, "Oh, if I think about a Ferrari, or a lot of money, enough, I'll get it." And it doesn't work like that. It means that the mind, the tanha, the creative side, this this under our personality, our normal person. What I call we say personality, but I like to call it person reality. My person reality, the reality my person creates. Under that, there's the law, the laws, the natural laws of the the way we work. Is patichu samapada and tanha, this which creates, comes to be and creates. Um, that's functioning totally different. And I was trying to tell people, when you, you have things that you don't want, so you think, I don't want that, the desire to get rid of. I said, but I'm always saying, look, desire is desire. And your personality might not want that. But under the in the realm of what, comes to be and passes away that doesn't recognize that it just recognizes the movement towards desire and it goes i can create that so the more you don't want a thing the more you draw it to you and this is this is part of the law of attraction but people don't mention this aspect of it (laughs) you know it's very important because the desire to get rid of is the same as the desire to get it creates a world that's why people get into relationships they you know, they, they, they keep having a relationship, but the next person they have relationships has got the same terrible qualities as the one they just had, if they had a bad relationship, you know. So I'm always, when people come, I always encourage them, if they talk about their problems, I always say, look, I always don't desire to get rid of confusion. I want to get rid of confusion. So the, the being, the nature of the world, of coming to be, that goes, I can create confusion. You're the finding yourself always confused because it's generating it, even though our personality aspect doesn't want it. So, we're saying, instead of trying to get rid of all that, pushing that away, desire to get rid of, I always say, I'd like not to have confusion. So then it's desire, the desire is pushing the other way. So then, then that's, the, I'd like to be more peaceful, say so I'd like to be more peaceful. So then on that other level, it's going, I can create peace. So then the mind, your, na- your nature, naturally signs, finds ways of creating peace. It isn't that you think I want to be peaceful and suddenly one day you're incredibly peaceful. Like if I want a Ferrari, so you know, in a few weeks I'll get a Ferrari if I think about it enough. Now you have to go and get a job and get a job that buy you a Ferrari. Or phone up Musk, what's his name? Say, look, you've got plenty of money. You know, nick me a Ferrari, or send me a nice Ferrari. <laughs> Someone was encouraging people and reflecting this goodness to be good. And, and the goodness that brings them here. We're very much blind. Not all you people in here. I'm sure you've got your dark side. I've got my shadow. I know I've got um, dodgy bits. But the, 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 the st- what you've brought here... It's incredible when you look around the world, especially this time, this time. I mean, now everybody's involved in... I won't get into it. Identity politics is very strong now. And everybody thinks, well, the identity politics, you know, my identity. And people think, well, we're very liberal. Everything should be really open and liberal and how I feel and how I should... And I don't deny this. You can be whatever... Everybody can be whatever you like. I'll accept whatever you want to be. Whatever, whatever my, you know, whatever the delusion someone carries I'll do it, but just don't get me to agree that you are that, you know. But, but, and then think, well, we're very liberal. And then, then even in Buddhist circles, you know, because the Buddhists are meant to be really open and all this sort of thing. So, well, I'm very open and all that. But in actual fact, the Buddha's got nothing to do with, what the Buddha taught, has got nothing to do with identity politics. You know, it's... it's it, he talked to go beyond identity, see identity. You know, a, a, a psychologist said to me, "Yeah, but you have to create a strong identity first." I said, "Yeah, but the identity you have to strong identity is one with mindfulness <laughs> and discernment, not one that you think you are and then you cling to that." And you know, I like I like this uh, simile of a fist. You know, that that um, am I getting heavy? <laughs> Tell me if I'm getting happy. I'll crack a joke. <laughs> but he's like a fist, you know. I was thinking we have body, if I can remember them. Body, feeling, perception, conception, consciousness. Uh, and that goes... Sh-choo. And that tension is sense of self. So what we're we learning to And then the more you get into one of these ideas, in many Mad Night ideas in the world, this gets tighter and then it gets to a point where they say, if you disagree with me, this I'm going to punch you with or crush you, you know, I shall crush you. You think I'm incredibly liberal and open, but this idea is very liberal and open, I'm going to crush you with it. <laughs> and you become totalitarian. <laughs> so, you know, what we do in a place like this, you develop these, these qualities of goodness and gradually we learn learning to go like this, Oh, until the time comes we create enough space in our life we start to be able to recognise not with words but in our being we start to recognise body, feeling, perception conception, consciousness and then anatta <laughs> anatta develop a space and then we're going down to the down the underground, most monks have heard the Lompour, when we're down the underground and suddenly you come to the tube and there's a space between the, the tube and the thing and it says mind the gap. And I'd be with that just like, oh, is it? No, why is it down the underground? Like, mind the gap, mind the gap. So that's what we do, we've got to mind the gap, create the gap. Until such a time the gap, we're so aware of the gap that everything seems to be gapness, you know, and then, then, then that, that can embrace everything. That can bring, it's all out. there's a Christian prayer that in actual fact, I had lots of copies of it, and I'm so, I'm so sad now I gave it away. And uh, Ajahn Sameda read it years ago, and it's a Christian prayer. It just, it's got a tree on the front, and then there's roots at the bottom, and it starts off, light and shadow, it's a prayer, light and shadow be gone together to make the whole of me. Then it goes, and it's a very touching thing. And uh, I went to a monastery, Christian monastery, up near, out south of Leeds, and uh, did a weekend thing there. And I said, there's this poem called Tree. And they said, no, I don't know about that. I said, but you're looking at our little bookshop or something like that. Of course, I go in this bookshop, there's a pile of them. You know, so I had piles and piles of them. But um, that, I've forgotten what I was going to say now, but never mind. But it was this, you know, this whole Christian prayer is more or less light and shadow be gone together. And when we, when we open up and we can embrace, start to embrace, create this space, <clears throat> we can embrace the light and shadow. Because that's as, as, as we are. And the people who always come, they people who come, or, we have difficulties. We have difficulties, you know, in monasteries when we become monks and nuns first. Yeah, troubled times, you know. Which make, makes us question and things like that. Difficult times, we're in relationships. Often people say, it must be wonderful being in a monastery. And I say, well, I came to have a marriage with one person, and I married 40, you know. You know, I mean, when we're not in close, we don't go to bed, all do. <laughs> we've got separate rooms and all that. But I said, we still have the problems, still have the problems, personality problems. I wrote to my brother once and someone might have heard me say this before because I thought it was a good line and it came from me so I'm going to repeat it. And uh, I wrote a long letter to my brother once in response to something and he's a very lovely, good person. And, um, I said we're creatures of the earth and like the earth it often takes heat and pressure to create a diamond. For, for the earth to create diamonds it, has to, it takes heat and pressure over millions of years. And for us, sometimes the hottest times in our monastic life or the difficult times we go through, if we are patient with them, and we've all been through them, I've been through them, um, if we're patient, allow them, suddenly they'll burst forth and suddenly a diamond appears. But it's not something you can work out. It's not something we can work out with our head. can't work it out in the brain, thinking. It's something we have to we have to relax and open to. There's the whole realm of knowledge which just arises out of a a font of knowledge and what it is is where we're surrendering. We're surrendering to the world, surrendering to the way the universe works or the way the Dhamma works and in return it's bringing forth clearer seeing and that clearer seeing, So that's Panya, that clearer seeing comes by itself in I know people who've who've been on retreats and they meditate all day and then think, go not get anywhere, I sit there all day. And then suddenly, you know, first first kind of method I used to do many years ago, and uh, and then they said they'd gone gone to get a shower or something like that and gone for a bar of soap. And in the distance of that bar of soap, suddenly they see their arm created, (laughs) literally created in the moment. What we we do? We're learning to relax. <clears throat> I was going to start this talk, actually, if it's a talk, or or ramble, <laughs> ramble, ramble through my thoughts. Um, was that usually when I sit? I usually like there's a lovely, and I think I, some people have got the sheet of paper. I got permission to print it because it was so nice, and it was something from the Tibetan. And uh, it's kind of a long, long part, but I like the beginning, I sent a copy to someone who's really a Western monk, one of the more senior monks, he's not here, but he's always looked as very serious. And I, I sent him this, and he wrote back and he said, hell, that's the nicest, nicest thing I've read. You know, he, Man, it And it's just the beginning line. And often when I sit to meditate, I'll do that straight away. You know, I'll, I'll sit and just reflect on that. And it says, "Keep your body." And people, I think, because it says, "Keep your voice silent." there's most probably thinking, well, I wish women would, <laughs> but I am capable. <coughs> we do the, we, we do this breathing. You know, this um, Russian buddhata. It says about taping your mouth. So as you learn to breathe through your nose at night time. And I used to do this. And a very dear and close friend who felt he could make a joke said, Mimalo. He says, get away the tape, put it round here, keep it on all day. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this this thing from the Tibetan is if I remember it a word, the beginning of it. I, I get the feeling of it, so I don't it well. It says, Keep your body still, keep your voice silent, as to your mind, don't bind it. Let it rest at ease. Let consciousness relax completely. Out of this, um, because this is neither, with no attachment to meditation nor non-meditation. Without aim, without fabrication. So this is, this, this, if intellect does not interfere with this, the view will arise. The view, you, the view will naturally arise as clear as the sky. This is the view. This is, this is what you'd say right view, but transcendental, more towards transcendental not right view, not just the intellectual belief in Kama. It's the more the, the view of insight. He said the whole thing of practice is to maintain this state, which sounds very easy, and but, but in actual fact, if, if you reflect on that, Keep the body still, keep the mind silent, as to the mind. Keep the body still, keep the voice silent, as to the mind, don't bind it. Let it rest at ease. Let consciousness relax and rest at ease. Without aim, without fabrication. And that's the same as the knowing, Ajahn as knowing, or if people hear the sound of silence, the skill of the sound of silence. I think most of our, all our scriptures, uh, all our things are all pointing back to this, this awareness here. We say, come back to the present. We never actually leave the present. It's a skillful thing. We say, keep bring the mind back to the present. But in actual fact, we never leave the present. There's no such thing as outside the present. But what it is, is that we get what manifests, you know, in, in science, quantum mechanics, atoms, all this is manifesting momentarily. So where have you gone in the future to come back to? You're always here, but what happens is that we, what manifests in the moment, we, we, the mind attaches to, creates, and holds to, and builds on, projects out, projects out into the future. Or thinks back into the past, our memory. A memory is just a great line of association from something. You could, sometimes I, because I've got that kind of dyslexic brain that thinks in funny ways. There's um, some woman woman who taught dyslexia gave me a book called "It's the way I think, not the way I think. It's the way I think." And she teaches dyslexics. But um, yeah, we, uh, yeah, memory. I, sometimes I find myself in the, I find myself suddenly in a fantasy. Of, I suddenly think, how do I get into that fantasy? How do I get that? And then I'll track it back, you know. And it a little while earlier, I had some a really obscure thought, and that thought, link, 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 and suddenly I'm round the world on holiday 1968 or something like that, trucking across Tunisia in 1968. <laughs> but that knowing... It's here in the present, it's where it's where it's where you, we always we are, we are. But we've got such refined concepts and things like that. I mean, we use these, these skillful means, like you know, the natural mind in Zen, or the natural mind, the normal mind, is the enlightened mind. You know, not to my way of perceiving. It's like you know, we're, we're like a fly. Like a fly on a window pane, we can see outside. In a normal mind, got no nothing going strong to take our distraction out of the outside. But there's a pane of glass there, and it's only when that, through meditation, through concentration, or insight, or some something happening in one's lives, so the conditions are there, why by that piece of glass moves, then the then the fly has a moment or lot of moments of suddenly going realising it can fly, realising it's, it's not trapped and then we, we, we uh, you know that, that pane of glass to us is this, when we sit normally you know people say what's the point of sitting there, I've actually said that to someone what's the point, you've got to think of something, you've got to do something you know, you sit there not thinking just being aware What's that meant to do? <laughs> you know, but they don't realise the power—the power in that, and the power in that is what 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 work goes through that that layers, those layers, those very refined layers which you don't know there. You know, you like we, we say the, sp- the space when you, in Lompour. I love Lompour. All is what he comes out with, but the space in this room is actually full of stuff. You know, when the light, you can see all the dust in here, in the air. The wrong bit of dust, so I can be sitting here normally. Wrong bit of dust goes up my big nose. My nose is like a one of these Henry's we use. You know, it's pretty big and it sucks in lots of junk. <laughs> so, wrong bit of dust goes up my head and conditions change and I'm a sneezing wreck, then down in pills, you know. But it is all these things, all the Buddha's teaching to me. I mean, I wasn't, you know, most probably someone might come and tell me off. And I did read at the beginning, you know, so I've got intellectual some understanding of what the Buddha taught, I think, (laughs) a little bit. But um, they all point, it all points to, it all points to this. uh, When the Buddha was a little boy and he was sitting under a tree on a sunny day he didn't suddenly think of. I'm sure he didn't think of methods of meditating, and all this sort of thing. I mean, they're all methods. Even a methodless method is a method. Um, I got told off once because I did say to the teacher, he said he didn't believe in methods of meditation, and I said, "Well, that's a method." <laughs> yeah. But, but. Um, But yeah, when he was sitting under his under his tree, sunny day. His dad's doing the ploughing according to the thing. He didn't suddenly think, Well, I'm a little boy, I'm gonna do a meditation and da, da. He sat there and relaxed. I mean he was an incredible being, so he sat there and relaxed. Suddenly joy, pity. And then he went into samadhi. Just natural, because he naturally naturally Opened, naturally opened. But even he, he kind of forgot that a bit later on, because he got caught, pulled into everything and then went searching again. Tried everything, as you all know. And then suddenly thought, well, I've tried this, indulgence, and I've tried that, so I just be mindful, walk naturally, mindful, middle, this is the middle. That is it lampo So discerning the mind is the way. Or discerning the mind is that. But doing it enough that gradually we discern mind or we have a, we have something happen either through insight, through an insight knowledge, or through or through concentration, where it becomes so subpar- that becomes so apparent. That one intuits mind, one cognizes and then when, when one mind, it doesn't mean no enlightened being. But it means that you know what's meant by discerning mind, and now that that can become a refuge, even though we're still working on our all our work to do. With me, I was a few million years I've got to go now, but I don't mind slowly <laughs> working, working on it. You have to be very patient. uh, 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 (laughs) I don't... My best friend, you know, my dearest friend. I go, what's your name again? (laughs) I know you're from Japan. (laughs) I said about patience, you know. That's what patience is. Sitting silent being silent. Other people have their methods of doing this. I mean, Ramana, the great Hindu sage. Oh, how long have I been talking? Well, tell me, how long have I been talking? Quarter half hour? Three quarters of an hour? How long? <laughs> I just want to keep you up. <laughs> um, yeah, Ramana then, then, I like that thing of his. Ramana Mahasi, in case people hadn't heard it, which most people have the silent sage, you know, and then the man, um, because Venerable Ajahn said about tapas, you know, and the sitting in a ring of fire, and I I was, I'm showing off now, but I was pretty tough, even when I was a lay person, and I was a yogi when I was 24, so I do all things, people say, people don't lie down, you know, and I think, oh, I'd do that for a month, I'll see about that, (laughs) you know, fasting, they thought, oh, I'd try that, (laughs) so I've tried a lot of austerities, so the tapas, you know, and then, then this man asked him, you know, what's the highest of all the tapas? And he think, Oh, is it sitting in a ring of fire, or like you were saying, you stand there for a year with your arm up in the air, and something like that? And he said, Staying with sense of staying with the sense I am is the highest of all the tapas. He said, well, that's the self, but no, no, he's staying with the sense of I am. When we when we when we sit, if we sit silent, if I sit like this. As a sense of the whole body as a as a sense of being being and that 's what i mean Ramana he just that he, he had this night where he's, he got free of fear of death, sixteen laid down on the ground and feigned death. What happens when you die? who dies, and when he woke up in the morning that 's how he was <laughs> he stayed like that till he was eighty, you know <laughs> he kind of burnt burnt burnt. Burned burnt all his conditions away, or a great deal of his condition. I don't know where he was at, but a great deal of his condition. Still had a personality. An interesting thing for me is, you see a film of Ramana Mahasi, and you see a film and you think, oh, oh, that's a still photograph. You think I remember looking at a photograph and thinking, that's a still, when he's with a group of people. And I thought, oh, that's a still photograph. That's an ordinary still photo, then I noticed that the people around him were moving gradually, and it wasn't—it was a video. <laughs> but he's in the middle of all these people, just—and he wasn't stupid or dumb or dead. He was completely whatever. But then I remember seeing a film of him, and then little while I seen a film, video of Nisargadatta, who for me. Nisargadatta Maharaj, for me, is about the same, the same place, you know. Not that I know, you know, because I'm Wimelo from Luton. <laughs> Educated in Luton. Luton. Though they are streetwise, Lutonians. But, um, yeah, so you see Nisargadatta, and people ask him questions, and he's going, you don't know nothing! And he's all shouting and... <laughs> but that's, that's Nisargadatta, that's the way he manifests. That's his conditioning we don't get rid of all our stuff. I said to this little girl, this little girl, to, well, little girl was 16. I said to her, I said, you won't get, you know, the compunctions will still be there, but they become irrelevant. They don't threaten you or anything like that. And it was a nice thing that I thought, I heard that that, that old Indian uh, American guru Ramdas, oh, I got a soft spot for, And I, I saw him in the 70s right back then. I was a bit of a Ram thing. But um, yeah, he described himself. As, uh, he said he, he said it's like I lived in a flat. He said and had all the furniture and all the furniture's here. The cupboards are here and the, the you know and the cookers here and everything like that. And he said and then, of course when he met his guru and then years of spiritual work, he said I've got rid of the furniture, but now I'm living in an aircraft hangar. <laughs> so the the furniture's kind of all in the corners and. Doesn't, doesn't make an effect on him, doesn't affect him. When before, he's crowded, crowded in between all his furniture. This is what our mind. So we start our practice looking for space in our mind. Then at a certain time, at a certain point, it turns around and you're looking for, you're looking for some space in your life. And then at a certain point, it turns. And then you're looking at the life in your space, you know. I mean, that, that, said that, I'll get off this tomorrow, go to my Kuti, no, my room, stub my toe and start swearing my head off. <laughs> you know, because we're only natural. We've got these, got these conditions. I think that's what, what Buddha's disciples say. One of his arahants started jumping over ponds and something. The Buddha said, well, he was a monkey in past life. And the ex brahmin who used to insult people, is that, but this condition is very strong. Yes, in the madness of this world. Hmm. See, in actual fact, that I was going to start off with this thing about sitting silent, because that's how I, that's how I like to. Be within myself, um, then Ajahn Nanarako mentioned the dying, and then I thought, wow, that quite quite a lot of reflections on. It. I was when you're my age, you start reflecting a lot on dying, and people come. It's quite funny because after my son died year, years ago, and I'm you know it's has gone, but but um, I seem to attract every time I sat in the sala. I seem to attract people who'd lost sons. And children, and I thought, oh, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I seem to attract, you know. As soon as they'd heard, and then I said, "Well, I've lost a son," and then suddenly you, you've immediately got a connection, you know. But um, yeah, we think our life when we're another thing. Randai said when his guru said when, when you're young, you think your life will last forever. When you're old, you think it took a minute. My brother's now eighty, getting a bit. You know, funny think how? You know, I remember. I remember, like, yesterday, playing bullfighting in our, in our bedroom. I had a cloth, He had a cloth, and I was a bull, and I ran at him, and he lifted the cloth out of the way, it's the sort of thing we used to do to each other, and I hit the wall, knocked myself senseless. But my parents weren't there. So he grabbed me up. He still brings it up, this. And uh, a few doors down the road was the doctor, so he rushed down, and I can remember. He rushed down, and he said, I remember, and I thought, I've killed my brother, I've killed my brother. You know, and I think, now he's 80, you know. He's 80, I'm 75. And it just goes like that. And I was saying, how our whole universe, you know, like I, I there's a thing, and I've, I have seen things on YouTube, you know, I'm, I'm vulnerable to the same as everybody else. I um, get okay, our galaxy, our, our, our solar system, then our galaxy, and it's got another circle. And, this. and then our universe is another circle of all stuff. You know, and this telescope, this new telescope, they say it can see 13 billion years further back than we could before with the Hubble. And um, I like all this stuff, spacey stuff. And uh, But then it's a, like that's another universe, a ball. And most probably out there, there's millions of others just the same. We're part of some... Some I've my brother saying years ago, do you know I think we're all on a piece of dust behind a picture frame somewhere? <laughs> that was his theory. But then I say, Well, in relationship, the totalitarian tot- you know, the totalness of everything outside the universe, whatever it is, whether it's nothing or whatever. And that's so infinity. In relationship to us, in relationship to us, our whole universe is just a moment. You know. It's just a moment, and here we are. <laughs> so I think so, don't waste, don't waste time. I mean, I do waste time, but I'm always telling myself, don't waste time. So I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I wish you all peace and happiness. Uh-huh. Reflect on your goodness.